offer. And those of you that were here last week, Tom started us off, um, introduced the book of Leviticus, went through the first couple chapters, and um, kind of got us a, a basic outline of uh, where we would be going this next few weeks. Um, so Leviticus, I'm sure for those of you who have read it, you've seen that it's often kind of a difficult book to read. Um, you start off reading the Bible. I think uh, more than a few people have, have took off with the intention of reading through the entire Bible and gotten through Genesis. It's pretty interesting. And Exodus, pretty interesting, a little, little slower moving towards the end. And I think Leviticus is where things start to get troublesome for a lot of people. So we hope that as we, we go through this, um, we can keep people engaged and see how Leviticus fits in to the rest of the scriptures and how important it is for us today. I think we need to remember that um, even though it is difficult reading at times, that Leviticus is still an inspired part of the canon of scripture and that it's been included in the Bible for a good reason. Leviticus continues the final parts of Exodus uh, where we left off closing the book with a holy God coming to dwell among sinful people. Leviticus also reveals even more so the holiness of God and his character and the manner that he would deal with the sins that would inevitably be committed by the people of Israel. And so as we read through Leviticus, in the midst of all the talk of sacrifices, blood, cleanliness, uncleanliness, different things, we also see more of who God is, more of how holy God is, and how seriously God takes sin. We see God's provision in all of this and God's desire to be with his people, even though his people fall so far short of his perfect standards. Leviticus shows us a God of holiness, but also a God of mercy. Leviticus paves the way for the ultimate sacrifice who would bear the final penalty for sin and make a way for people to finally be right before God. More specifically tonight, as we get into Leviticus chapters 4, 5, and a little bit of chapter 6, we're going to be talking about every Christian's favorite topic, sin. Sin has been part of human existence since the fall of man in Eden. Sin surrounds us in the world we live in, and sin dwells within us because of our fallen nature. Sin can taint our actions, our thoughts, and our emotions as we interact with other sinners in a fallen world. Sin damages our relationships with other people, and more importantly, it damages our relationship with God. And as Tom mentioned last week, Isaiah 59 tells us that our sin separates us from God. And so the question that we get to with this is how will a holy God deal with sin? What can man do to stay in right relationship with God, while at the same time committing acts that violate his very nature. How is God going to make this work? And so tonight we'll see that sin is costly, that there's a price that comes with it. We see that sin brings death and it brings separation from God. We see that sin has to be dealt with. It can't just be ignored. And we see how God graciously provided Israel with a way to deal with their sin and how that way pointed to a better way coming in the future, to a promise of a final solution for the sin of mankind. 
Uh, so a little illustration as we get going here. Um, how many of you all have ever driven a little too fast in a car? Probably a, f a few people here. So when I was growing up, my family lived up in the mountains, um, Livermore, Colorado, kind of between Fort Collins and Laramie, if you've ever been up in that area. And so that's where I learned to drive. Um, from, from the time I, I started driving, I kind of learned on the little dirt roads up in that area, and then got my permit and graduated to the highways, and spent a lot of time on the, the two-lane highways winding through the mountains up in that area. And so this one particular day, I was, I was uh, visiting from college, home for the summer, and I'm driving down into town. Um, I was getting ready to go on a date with a, a certain girl I was interested in, uh, who later became my wife. So I was excited, maybe a little distracted, and I'm cruising down this road that I had driven probably a hundred times at that point in my life. And so I'm going along the, the main stretch of the highway, the speed limit's about 55 miles per hour, I believe. Um, so I'm somewhere in that ballpark, you know, not, not going necessarily too much faster than I should have been then. But there's a, a point where you, you come over a hill and start dropping down another one into the little town of Livermore. And so, as with most two-lane highways, as you drop down into the town, the speed limit goes down about 20 miles per hour. I think it was 35. And so, as you're going through there, you get into the town, the speed limit goes down, and right after that, there's also a school next to the highway. And so I'm cruising along, thinking about where I'm going, and uh, there was some, uh, a relay road race going on at that point in time. So they have this big race they put on every summer, and uh, people get into teams, and they take turns running from Fort Collins to Steamboat Springs. And so there's people all over the side of the highway taking part in this race, and there's vans everywhere hauling the people when they're not running, and all sorts of stuff. And so I'm kind of watching this, I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't want to run over one of these people, and I should probably take, keep an eye out for all this extra traffic. And so as I'm going into town, of course, I miss the speed limit sign that I'd seen a hundred times before. And uh, I'm coasting down into town, push the clutch in, um, still going quite a bit faster than the 35 miles per hour I should have been doing. And I didn't see the sheriff's deputy on a motorcycle coming up the other way. So needless to say, he flips it around real quick, pulls me over, and I am in trouble. Not significantly, not intentionally. I didn't go out seeking to commit a wrong here. I wasn't even trying to speed in this case, as I had before and sometimes. Um, but I was careless, I wasn't paying attention, and I got in trouble with the county for it. Um, so because of this transgression against the county, this had damaged my relationship with the government at this point, that uh, I had committed a wrong and that I had to pay for it. Uh, so I'm written a ticket, I had to pay $150 fine or whatever it may have been um, because I was driving too fast in a town, in a school zone, where I shouldn't have been. And had I failed to pay that fine, my relationship with the government would have continued to go downhill, I'm sure, at that point. But there were consequences that had to be dealt with because of what I had done. And... Fortunately for me, I was able to deal with those consequences, to pay the fine, and to go about with life. A little frustrated um, at my, my failure to comply with what needed to happen there, but overall, not too much worse off. And this is very similar in many ways to what we'll see here in Leviticus tonight, that 
there's a lot of talk in this, this segment we're studying tonight about unintentional sins, about things people do not intending to that violate the laws of God, that they go out and they transgress against a holy God unknowingly. And so this section of Leviticus gives us the guidelines for how Israel was to deal with that, how they could be restored into that right relationship with God, and the cost that come with that. So if you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 4. And so we'll pick up at the beginning of Leviticus chapter 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally in any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and commits any of them, if the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the bull and slay the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the blood of the bull and to bring it to the tent of meeting. And the instructions with this chapter are dealing with more specifically with what's known as the sin offering. As I mentioned before, this is for sins that were committed unintentionally, that they didn't go out and commit rebellious acts against God. They merely had um, accidentally done some things that transgressed God's law. In some way, they were straying from that. And even though it was accidental, it still was sin, and it still had to be atoned for, that this still had to be dealt with. This still damaged their relationship with God and went against his character. So picking up again in verse 6, it says, And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall also put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense, which is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. And all the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall remove from it all the fat of the bull of the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys, just as it is removed from the ox of the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest is to offer them up in smoke on the altar of burnt offering. But the hide of the bull and all its flesh, with its head and its legs and its entrails and its refuse, all, that is all the rest of the bull, he is to bring out to a clean place outside the camp, where the ashes are poured out, and burn it on wood with fire, where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. And so this first section lays out the process to for a sacrifice to atone when the sin was committed by the priest. The priest served as a type of mediator between the people and God. And so a sin on his part required a larger sacrifice than what would be required for the common people, as we'll see a little farther on tonight. We also see that the sacrifice, in this case, a bull, had to be a perfect sacrifice. It had to be without defect, without blemish. They were to bring the best they had to make atonement for this. After sacrificing the bull, killing it and placing it on the altar, some of its blood was to be placed on the veil of the Holy of Holies and on the horns of the altar. The remainder of it was to be poured out at the base of the altar. Part of the bull was burned on the altar, the fat and parts of the liver. 
The remainder of it was to be burned outside the camp as waste. And so we continue on, uh, picking up in, we're going to skip down just a little bit, to chapter 4, verse 13. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel commits error, and the matter escapes the notice of the assembly, and they commit any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and they become guilty, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a bull of the herd for a sin offering, and bring it before the tent of meeting. Then the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be slain before the Lord. And this next section gives very similar instructions to atone for an unintentional sin committed by the nation, corporately, the whole congregation of Israel. So this is what happens when the nation as a whole does something wrong, something that transgresses God's law and his character. The elders of the people are to come representing the people and to lay hands on the bull as a representation of the nation to pass their sins onto it. The other instructions they're given are essentially the same as for the sacrifice for the priest we just read through. And once this, one thing to note here as well is that once the sin is recognized, it had to be dealt with. That this is unintentional sins, not something they were seeking to do, but once they recognized that they had done something wrong, they needed to deal with it and deal with it quickly. And so we'll skip ahead. The, the details, again, follows a very similar pattern. That they, they were to slaughter the animal, um, burn the fat and parts of the liver on the, the altar, burn the, the waste parts outside the camp, and then pour the blood out next to the altar. Um, if we skip down to chapter 4, verse 20, it says, He shall also do with the bull, just as he did with the bull of the sin offering, Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. And so we see that forgiveness is the end result that's being sought here. That they're, they're wanting to restore that relationship with God. That this is a key part of the process. We also see this word atonement pop up again. Uh, Tom touched on that a bit last week. Uh, atonement means essentially to cover over or to remove the guilt of their sin. That this was a way of dealing with the sin, at least for the time being. Uh, we learn as we, we go on through the scriptures, the book of Hebrews uh, has a lot to say on the sacrifices, the Old Testament sacrificial system. Um, so we'll be probably referencing that further as we go on. But Hebrews tells us that um, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin, that this wasn't a permanent solution, that this covered over the sins of the people and allowed God to be among them while they were looking forward to that final solution. We pick up again in chapter 4, verse 22, which gives instructions for sins committed by a leader of the people. Verse 22 says, When a leader sins and unintentionally does any one of all the things which the Lord his God has commanded not to be done, and he becomes guilty, 
If his sin, which he has committed, is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a male without defect. He shall lay his hands on the head of the male goat and slay it in the place where they slay the burnt offerings before the Lord. It is a sin offering. And so this is a similar situation, except the sin is committed unknowingly, unintentionally by a leader of the people. And so he was required to sacrifice a perfect male goat, something that was a little less valuable than the, the bull that had to be sacrificed for sins by the priest or by the people, but still more expensive, more valuable, a larger sacrifice than what the common people would be required to do in a similar situation. Uh, the sacrifice goes very similarly in this case, again, except the blood was handled a little bit differently. It wasn't sprinkled on the veil of the Holy of Holies like it had been with the other sacrifices. But otherwise, the process was the same. And if we skip ahead to chapter 4, verse 26, we see again, it says, Thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to his sin, and he shall be forgiven. So following that same pattern, moving towards that same goal of forgiveness and right relationship with God. And so we'll pick up again in chapter 4, verse 27 which addresses unintentional sins by the common people. It says, Now if any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and becomes guilty, if his sin which he has committed is made known to him, then he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without defect for his sin which he has committed. And it continues on, he has to lay his hand on it, slay it, that uh, the priest will take some blood, spread it on the altar, And then in verse 31, it says, He shall remove all its fat, just as the fat was removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings, and the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar for a soothing aroma to the Lord. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. So these sacrifices are to atone for their sins, to cover over them, to serve as a pleasing aroma to God, and to help them as they seek that right relationship with God. So these unintentional sins by the common people were dealt with through the sacrifice of a female goat, something a little less valuable financially in that day and age. Um, or we also see in verse 32 that they give them um, the, the option of using a lamb for those that didn't have as much money. Uh, once again, the blood was to be spread on the altar and then poured out on the ground. And so those are kind of the, the main options there for the unintentional sins committed by the nation, by the priest, by the leaders, and by the common people. And so the next part of this passage, we're going to move into chapter 5, deals with some various sins um, involving carelessness and failure to follow through on expectations and on requirements given by God. And so we'll start in chapter 5, verse 1, which says, Now if a person sins after he hears a public adjuration to testify, when he is a witness, whether he is seen or otherwise known, if he does not tell it, then he will bear his guilt. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean cattle or a carcass of unclean swarming things, though it is hidden from him and he is unclean, then he will be guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort, 
his uncleanness maybe with which he becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty. Or if a person swears thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, in whatever matter a man may speak thoughtlessly with an oath, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, he will be guilty in one of those. One of these, excuse me. So it shall be when he becomes guilty in one of these that he shall confess that in which he has sinned. He shall also bring his guilt offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin. And so in this case, whether it was failure to testify, contact with something unclean, or making an oath thoughtlessly, the first step that the people had to follow through in this case was to confess one's wrongdoing and to bring the appropriate sacrifice to God, to make that atonement, to be forgiven, to be made right with God. In verse 7 it says, But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord his guilt offering for that in which he has sinned, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. The usual sacrifices in this case called for a female lamb or a goat. But two turtle doves or two pigeons were also given as an acceptable option for those who couldn't afford a sheep or a goat. Uh, We'll see a little later on that they give even some further options for those who couldn't even afford to, to obtain a bird to bring. And so they make the sacrifice. Uh, the blood is smeared on the altar again, similar situation. Um, and then we pick up again in chapter 5, verse 11, which says, But if his means are insufficient for two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then for his offering for that which he has sinned, he shall bring the tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall not put oil on it or place incense on it, for it is a sin offering. He shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful of it as a, its memorial portion, and offer it up in smoke on the altar with the offering, offerings of the Lord by fire. It is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin which he has committed from one of these. And it shall be forgiven him, then the rest shall become the priests like the grain offering. And so in the case of the, the more poor people who couldn't afford to bring an animal, a bird, whatever it may be, they were allowed to bring an offering of flour to, bring, to come in to burn as part of their sin offering. The priests were allowed to take some of this off to the side um, as, along with the, the grain offering that the people gave. And that was kind of how the priests were to eat. They were to, to live off portions of things given from the people. And picking up again in chapter 5, verse 14 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person acts unfaithfully and sins unintentionally against the Lord's holy things, then he shall bring his guilt offering to the Lord. A ram without defect from the flock, according to your evaluation in silver, by shekels in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall make restitution for that which he has sinned against the holy thing, and shall add to it a fifth part of it and give it to the priest. The priest shall then make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and it shall be forgiven him. And these verses, they switch gears to what is known as the guilt offering. This is an offering for sins that involve misuse of holy things, dishonesty, 
or required some sort of restitution to be made because of the sin. And so if we pick up again in verse 17, it says, Now if a person sins and does any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, though he was unaware, still he is guilty and shall bear his punishment. Then he is, he is then to bring out to the priest a ram without defect from the flock, according to your evaluation for a guilt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his error in which he sinned unintentionally and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a guilt offering. He was certainly guilty before the Lord. And so the sacrifice for this type of sin was once again to be a ram, once again a perfect animal without flaw. And we also see at the end of verse 17, it says he is guilty and he shall bear his punishment. Take note of that phrase there, he shall bear his punishment. We're going to circle back to that one in just a few minutes here. And so this is the guilt offering. It continues into chapter 6, picking up in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When a person sins and acts unfaithfully against the Lord, and deceives his companion in regard to a deposit or security entrusted to him, or through robbery, or if he is extorted from his companion, or has found what was lost and lied about it, and sworn falsely, so that he sins in regard to any one of the things a man may do. Then it shall be, when he sins and becomes guilty, that he shall restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by extortion, or the deposit which was entrusted to him, or the lost thing which he found, or anything about which he swore falsely. He shall make restitution for it in full, and add to it one-fifth more. He shall give it to the one whom... To whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. Then he shall bring to the priest his guilt offering to the Lord, a ram without defect from the flock, according to your valuation, for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of the things which he may have done to incur guilt. And so this section follows again that same pattern that a sacrifice was to be made, a perfect animal. Um, that anything that was, was taken was damaged in the case of misuse of, of holy items, that restitution was to be made, and that atonement was to be made, and a fifth portion was to be repaid in the case of, of that restitution that needed to be made. And so as we go through this section here, these different sacrifices, we see that sin comes with a price. That for Old Testament era Israel, the price could be quantified easily. That sheep, goats, and cattle were their sources of income, their sources of food. And they were directly impacted by the sins they committed. And for us today, we no longer need to make sacrifices to cover over our sins. But the principles here can remind us of how serious sin is and how seriously God views sin. Sin also brings death, that in addition to this cost, there is death. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. From sin's initial entry into the world in Genesis 3, we see both spiritual death, separation from God, and physical death. Uh, The animals that were slain to provide coverings for Adam and Eve were the first example of this. As a result of this sin. For the Israelites making these sacrifices, bringing these animals in, seeing their lives taken 
as a direct result of the sins they'd committed would have been a vivid illustration of how sin results in death. And for us today, under the rule of the new covenant in Christ, the process of repentance and forgiveness is much simpler than it was for Old Testament Israel, as we've seen in this part of Leviticus. But that doesn't mean sin isn't still serious. Sin is still a very big deal. Sin still leads to death, and sin still displeases God. And thanks to the work of Christ, our righteous standing before God is secure. We don't have to worry about that. But sin still damages our relationship with God, and sin can limit the effectiveness of our service to God. And so because of all this, we have to be diligent to continually bring our sinful flesh in submission to God's word and to his spirit. There's many areas of life where we're prone to give in to temptation, and we need to be growing in discipline through the power of the spirit and seek the approval of God over the passing pleasures of the sinful world. The other thing for us to remember is that we need to be grateful for the cross. From the first sin in Genesis 3, God made a way for sin to be dealt with. And God promised a lasting solution that could finally and fully restore the relationship of God to mankind. The animal sacrifices of Leviticus provided a covering for Israel's sins that allowed them to remain in fellowship with a holy God. These sacrifices also served as a constant reminder of their sinfulness and their need for a savior, for the ultimate sacrifice that would permanently deal with their sin. One of the most amazing prophecies about Christ is found in Isaiah chapter 53. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. Isaiah 53 describes Jesus' role as the suffering servant who would bear the iniquities of mankind. And so we're going to briefly look at a couple verses in Isaiah 53 that tie into that and speak to Christ's role as the final sacrifice. And so we see in Isaiah 53, we're going to start in verse 10. It says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. We will see his offspring, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. And so there's a couple phrases here in Isaiah that we read over in this section describing the sacrifices in Leviticus. Um, Leviticus 5, chapter 6, talks about the guilt offering that we discussed. And here in Isaiah 53.10, it says that Christ, the Messiah, would be a guilt offering, that he would give himself as a guilt offering to redeem the people, to die for their sins. And in Isaiah 53, 11, it closes, the, the close of the verse says, he will bear their iniquities. And so when we look at Leviticus 5, 17, it talks about the man being guilty and bearing his punishment. The Hebrew word that's translated punishment there is the same word 
is translated iniquities here in Isaiah. And there's some other translations of the Bible that in Leviticus even say that he will bear his iniquities. And so we see that in the sacrifices here that the guilty had to bear their iniquities. They had to take this animal, bring it in, and slay it because of their iniquities and their sins. And we see the promise of the coming Messiah, the Christ, who would bear their iniquities for them, who would be their guilt offering and that perfect sacrifice in their place. And so we see in this passage that sin is costly, that sin brings death and separation from God, and that sin has to be dealt with, as we talked about in the beginning. We see that God graciously provided Israel with a way that they could deal with their sin, and that that way to deal with their sin pointed to a future promise of a final solution to sin, that God would make a way for these sins to be dealt with once and for all. Jesus was that final guilt offering, that he bore the guilt of our sin, bringing freedom from sin and from death, and making the sacrificial system of Leviticus no longer necessary. But more importantly, he made a way for us to be righteous before a holy God. And when Jesus cried out on the cross that it is finished, he had finished the work that was started so long before, of making people right with God, of covering over their guilt, and dealing with sin. And so I mentioned, uh, as we study through Leviticus, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament law that are explained more thoroughly for us in the book of Hebrews. We see kind of what their final fulfillment was and what that means for us today. And so we're going to finish off tonight looking at a verse in Hebrews chapter 9 that ties in with this. So Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, say, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So how much more, if, if the blood of bulls and of goats and of lambs was able to cover over the sins of the people in Israel, how much more will the perfect sacrifice of Christ cleanse our conscience from dead works and allow us to serve the living God? And so that's the lesson we need to remember as we go from here tonight. That sin is serious, that sin is costly, that our sin was dealt with, was atoned for at the price of the blood of Jesus. That there's a cost to that. And we're freed from our sins, we're freed from the effects of that, we're freed from the guilt of that sin. And because of that, we need to live in that freedom. That freedom in Christ doesn't excuse us from seeking holiness. Freedom in Christ enables us to seek holiness. And so as we go through life, as we read through the Old Testament, as we read through Leviticus, we can see how holy God is, how big a deal sin is to him. And we can be grateful for the work of Christ on the cross, that we no longer have to make sacrifices to cover over their sin, these sins, that we no longer are slaves to our sins, that we can be free from that. And we can be free to serve the living and true God, that we can walk in that freedom each day and be seeking diligently to crucify our flesh and to walk with 
the Lord God, to seek him and to seek his glory. So let's be grateful for that. Let's be grateful for the work of Christ. And let's remember that this is the same God we serve today, that we need to honor him in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your perfect, absolute holiness, Lord. We thank you that you are good uh, beyond the greatest thing we could know, that you are absolutely, perfectly holy, Lord, that you cannot abide with sin. And I thank you that you love us so much, Lord, that you made a way to deal with sin, that you made a way in the Old Testament for the sins of Israel to be covered over, that they could be with you. I thank you, Lord, that you made a way to deal with sins ultimately, that we could be free from the guilt of that sin, we could be free from the power of that sin, Lord, that we could live lives devoted to you and to your glory, Lord. I pray that you would be with us as we go from here, that we would uh, be quick to deal with our sins when they become known to us, Lord, that we would confess those, that we would repent of those, and that we would walk in the freedom that you have purchased for us with the blood of your Son. I pray that you would be glorified and that you would be made much of in our lives. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for sharing.